0: Go ahead and click the first slide for me. There we go. Thank you. We are Jonah. So today we're starting a new series in Jonah. We are Jonah. And I did want to start with a little personal illustration. Illustration. My wife, when she heard I was going to be preaching through Jonah, she got a little scared. And she said, have we been there long enough to really teach through Jonah? And I hear a lot of laughing. Maybe you're assuming. Maybe I've shared the story with you before. But it was through Jonah that the last time I preached through Jonah at our our previous church that Christy and I realized God was calling us in a different direction than what we were currently running. God wanted us to run to a new church and to look for a senior pastorate somewhere. So it was at this time that my wife said, Are you sure we've been there long enough? Because the last time you taught through Jonah... You, you felt it was God telling you that it's time to leave Ohio, <laughs> leave her family, leave her house, and find a new church. So I want to start off with just saying, I am not looking to leave this church. I love this church, and I love my job. I love this passion that we have for serving God, for worshiping God here. But we are going to be talking about Jonah, and we're going to be talking about why we are Jonah, It's for that very reason we are always running away from God. We say we're wanting to run to God, and yet we often find ourselves running from God. And we need to stop running. I think that by the end of today's message, I hope that you'll understand this statement. And maybe you do already, which is great. And just throughout the sermon, this will just be strengthened. The plan of man is to flee and sink. But the plan of God swims and saves. Let that soak in. The plan of man is to flee and sink. But the plan of God swims and saves. I want to start by saying that God is truly working this sermon and the direction of the sermon because I did not plan it this way. But one of the scriptures that we read last week for Easter Sunday was this. Matthew 12:40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, also will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I plan my sermons ahead of time. I have a year-long sermon calendar to try and get things to flow appropriately. But I did not plan that scripture to help connect last week, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, to today. I just think that is awesome. Last week, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday with 266 people roughly in attendance. And as we celebrate this still today, we praise God for leading so many people here last Sunday. But we also pray for their salvation. We pray that they do come back, whether it be here or to another local church, because they need to be involved in a local family of believers of Jesus. But we also pray that they surrender their lives to him. And they realize, just from last week's service... They can't have life without God. You can't have life without Jesus. But today we're starting a new study on Jonah. And how appropriate this message comes right after these words. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, also will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Wow. Wow. I'm sorry, but no matter how crazy it seems to you, no matter what you say, I believe this to be a true story. This is not a short story or a poem or folklore, a song. I believe this to be true. I believe all of the Bible to be true. And I believe that you cannot just pick and choose what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. Because the moment you start to do that, the moment you start interpreting Scripture to be in that way, some's fake, it's just a story to help us think about life. Well, now you have to apply that same principle to the entire word of God. And now it begins to question, was Jesus real? Was the cross real? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Is creation real? We must stand for truth, for biblical truth. I believe the entire word of God to be truth. Some proofs for today. Jesus believed himself in Christ. Jonah and in the whale or the great fish I should say Jesus referenced it the God who raised dead men to life split the Red Sea created the world is more than capable of controlling the storm controlling a fish and if our God can bring someone back to life from the dead he most certainly can keep someone alive in the belly of the fish for three days there is definitely fish large enough in the sea as well to swallow somebody whole The question is not that. The question is keeping them alive. We have the basking shark in this area, classified as a fish. It's roughly the size of a small bus. So again, it's not to question whether or not there's fish large enough to swallow a man whole, but could they stay alive? Well, I found one story of in the early 1900s, a seaman was swallowed by a large sperm whale, near the Falkland Islands. After three days, he was recovered, unconscious, but alive. Though there was some damage to his skin. Of course, there's many people throughout the 1900s that would want to argue that story, but here's my my thought for you. If God put you there, he can keep you alive there. I have a one-word answer for how this happens. God. We shouldn't limit God. We have such a way of limiting God because we don't truly understand who he is or how he could do something. But how could we understand who he is or how he does something? We're not God. We don't have the same powers as him. We don't have the same strength or the same knowledge as him. We can't be everywhere like him. So we're going to read this morning from Jonah chapter 1. So if you want to prepare your Bibles, I'll put it up on the screen here. And see if I can get my remote working properly. No. My remote's not wanting to work properly this morning. Nick, if you could bring up the first slide for the scripture, please. Thank you. Let's see if I got this now. All right. I think I'm good now, Nick, but just stay back there just in case. And if you could please stand if you're able to. Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to try and stick to my notes a lot today because we've got a lot to go through. Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it So the captain came and said to him, "'What do you mean, you sleeper? "'Arise, call out to your God. "'Perhaps the God will give a thought to us "'that we may not perish.' "'And they said to one another, "'Come, let us cast lots, "'that we may know on whose account "'this evil has come upon us.' "'So they cast lots, "'and the lot fell on Jonah. "'Then they said to him, "'Tell us on whose account "'this evil has come upon us. "'What is your occupation?' Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights you may be seated thank you today's sermon is going to use this acronym stop we're going to have four major points stop s t o p and the first one is easy because it is stop and i thought about putting a picture of a stop sign to help you understand this acronym but we need to stop. This is a restricted area. You should never flee from the presence of God. And we're going to start with Jonah chapter 1, verse 1-4 to 4, as we just evaluate this very saying. Stop. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I think God um, allowed Tarshish to be said multiple times because he wants us to understand just how big of a, of a fleeing this was, just how much Jonah needed to stop. You see, here we see that God speaks and Jonah listens. Well, he does listen, but wait, he runs. He doesn't listen and obey. He listens and he flees. He runs away from God and what God's telling him to do. I love how this starts. As we read, we see, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I have news for you. You guys have a lot coming your way today because God blessed me with yesterday nuncing on my schedule and I literally just sat all day yesterday from 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. and just studied this. So... You got a lot coming your way. I hope you got a lot of paper to take notes. But I want to start with that very statement. The word of the Lord came. Creation began with the word of God creating everything that is and all and it all listened and obeyed. Our lives should also begin with God and his word. Every choice we make should begin with the word of God speaking into it and we should obey. God spoke with his word and everything came into existence. Nothing argued with him. And we should not argue either. It's what's best for us. But we often do not obey. We run. We flee. We avoid his plan because it might be uncomfortable. And this is just what Jonah does. He runs. And by the way, just a little bit of tidbit, a little tidbit of info. The name Jonah is said to actually mean dove. I find that interesting, because in his father's name, who again is another evidence or proof that this is a true story and not meant to be fake, because why would they give us his father's name? And why would he be referenced in not just Jesus' words, but in other books of the Old Testament? Jonah means dove. His father's name means loyal and truthful. So I find this interesting. His father's name means loyal, truthful, loyal to God maybe. Jonah's name means dove, which could also mean he's kind of flighty. (laughs) And he flew away from God's plan. But you know, dove also means peace. And God desired for him to deliver a message which would lead to peace. But Jonah ran. He runs, he does not obey, and storms hit. Jonah's a minor prophet also, and we'll have more on this later. This is against the popular belief, though, that Satan puts us in hard situations. Anytime we're in a hard situation, we want to claim, this is Satan putting us in it. God, help me get out of the bondage of Satan. But here we see that sometimes we put ourselves in hard situations. Not just that, sometimes it's God putting us in that hard situation to make us aware of our ways. God will put you in hard situations, but if you look to him, follow his plan... You are not alone. And also, if you run for God's plan and not away from God's plan, sometimes you avoid that hard situation completely. Never run when you can make a difference. We are Jonah. Here's a bit of irony for you. We always love to pray for God's guidance. God, help me, lead me, show me what I need to do here. But then as God's telling us what to do, giving us exactly what we asked for, we run the other way. We take the easy way out. Or we think, ah, I don't like that way. That sounds difficult. It sounds awkward. It sounds like it might bring up some bad conversations. Or maybe we think, uh, I don't know if I want to give up those things. Never run when you could make a difference. God wants to use us, but we continue to run away from him. We ask God to lead us, and yet we don't accept what he freely gives to us. We are just like Jonah. And we, just, we don't just sprint either. We don't just run a little bit far away, but we run a marathon. We run an ultra marathon, just like Jonah. Let me show you a picture here to help you understand exactly where Jonah is, what Jonah is doing. I think visuals help a lot, or at least they do with me. So here we see Nineveh in the upper right here. We see where Jonah is. We see Joppa. And we see Tarshish. God wanted Jonah to go approximately 550 miles up to Nineveh. Instead, he went down to Joppa, the seaport, and he found a boat to take him 2,500 miles away from the plan God wanted. Jonah fled. And you know what? Jonah didn't just flee, but Jonah went almost as far west as he could away from God's plan. But why? Why does Jonah flee? I mean, that keeps going through my my mind. You're a prophet, a minor prophet. You're a man of God. You're supposed to be doing God's bidding, doing His work, preaching God's God's prophecies, God's word to the nations. And now God's speaking to you. What was that we talked about? How we love that starts with... Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What a blessing, right? I mean, how would you like the word of the Lord to come to you so relevantly, so easily to understand? God speaks to you, but you run. That's what Jonah's doing, and we are Jonah. We run. Jonah runs. Was he scared? Was he more scared of Nineveh than God? Maybe, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a combination of things. Why would a prophet of God run from God's plan, from preaching his judgment on a nation and word of salvation to turn from their evil ways? This was a prophet's job. Jonah's job was not to run, not to flee, but to preach. Maybe Jonah needed a reminder of this. You cannot run from God. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, and God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Try to say those three really fast. You'll get your tongue twisted. God is omnipresent everywhere. God is omniscient, all-knowing. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. I made a point to write those down on the board so that you can write them down in your notes because I know a lot of of you might have never seen these terms before, and they're very important because these describe our God. He is all-present. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful omnipresent, omniscient, and and omnipotent. So why? Why did Jonah run, fleeing from an all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God? Was he scared? Maybe. But I think ultimately he was probably not so much scared as much as selfish. He was thinking of what he wanted in this situation. Why did Jonah leave Israel? Why did he run? Well, partially maybe he thought that if he ran, God would go for the easy way out and he would just pick a new prophet. But I also think that Jonah out of his own selfish mind, he wanted these people to be punished. He didn't want them to be saved. I'll go into that in a moment. So as he's preach, as he's fleeing from God, he's thinking, "Wow, I got to get on a boat. I got to get as far away from Nineveh as I can because I don't know what God's going to do to judge these people but I'm hoping that he's just going to blow this whole side of, the, the, of this countryside off the face of the planet, right? So he's going as far away as possible. Now that's just one thinking. That could be wrong. But let's think about where God is calling him to. God is calling him to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city or said to be the capital city of Assyria. And I think they fled because God wanted them to go and preach a message of repentance. Turn away from your evil ways and surrender to God or be doomed. Jonah may have been scared and for appropriate reasons, but I think Jonah was also selfish. He was unforgiving, he was cold hearted. And here's why Jonah did not want them to have the opportunity to repent. Jonah knew that God pursues those who flee from his ways. God is the God of second chances, and he saves. Another bit of irony there. Jonah knew that God pursues those who flee from his ways, and he gives opportunities to save. And yet Jonah does the exact same thing. He flees from God's will. He's doing the exact same thing. Maybe not as evil ways as we want to think from Ninevites, but he's fleeing from God and he should know God's going to pursue them because God has a plan for his life. And God wants him to live for him and not for, not for Jonah's self. But here's the thing, Jonah was too focused on who the Ninevites were and what they have done instead of who his God is and what our God can do. And we do the same thing today. We're so focused on people's past and what they've done ...or what they're doing now... ...that we fail to remember that if they surrender their life to God... ...what can God do with that man? What can God do with that woman? We forget what God can do with his soul. Nineveh originated from a man named Nimrod. There were warriors. There were violent warriors. They worshipped false gods and would take over neighboring nations in their names. Nineveh was a huge city... ...and we have it directly in God's word saying a great city... And not just great in the way of it being big population-wise, but they were a powerful city. And again, not just with their army, but they're also located at prime location for trade and export as well, and as a capital. This city was outside of what would be modern-day Iraq, and historians estimate there was a city of about 600,000 people. They had walls and guard towers all around the city, with men always ready to slaughter any trespass, or if they were not, welcomed. The walls, 100 feet high, 50 feet thick, and the main one had 15 gates, and was over seven and one-half miles long. One wall of the city, seven and one-half miles long. This was a city of sin and evil. And God himself said, Their evil has come up before me. The city in this judgment is often compared to Sodom and Gomorrah in commentaries. But that city was wiped out because they would not turn away from the evil. This city still had a chance. God wanted to give them a chance. God's calling Jonah to go and give them this chance. One commentary study said that these people would go to war kill their enemies, and put them on a stake for all to see and to scare their other enemies away. That's the PG version, folks. It goes into more detail. These were bad guys, bad dudes. They were bad to the bone. They were enemies to God's people, and now God is asking Jonah to run to them and preach. Salvation, to lead a revival, turn, or be doomed. But Jonah wanted them punished, not saved their enemies of Israel would eventually conquer Israel. Here's a quote from another commentary. Suppose God called some Jew living during the Hitler regime to go to Berlin and prophesy publicly that God was going to destroy Nazi Germany unless the Germans repented. The possibility of the Germans repenting and God withholding judgment on them would have been totally repugnant, repugnant to such a law. Jonah did not see the value in going for two reasons. Obviously, number one, he didn't want to go because he wants them to be punished. They're enemies. But number two, he was probably afraid for his life. And number three, he just thought, why go through all this trouble when it's not going to do any good? They're not going to flee from God. They're evil. They're filled with evil. But again, he forgot who his God is. Here's the thing. Man may flee, but God pursues. God pursues and saves. God shows us love, grace, mercy. We cannot outrun or outpursue God, and we should not want to. We should not even try. Even when we do not deserve salvation, God still sends a giant fish to swallow us up. Let me remind you that's a miracle. That's God providing for somebody and providing life. We cannot outrun God, and we should not want to. We need to stop. We need to stop running. God sometimes asks us to do things we don't want to do. He will speak to you and ask you to do hard things, and we must listen and obey. I tell my kids that statement all the time, and they hate it. I tell them, listen and obey. Maybe I have said it a couple of times sometimes. Listen and obey. They don't like it, but they know what's best for them is to stop what they're doing, stop what they're thinking, stop arguing, and just listen and obey. There are consequences to our actions. Even when we're forgiven of our our actions, there's still consequences, and especially actions which go against God's will. So as we read on, we see, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so that we will not perish. I want to stop for a moment and just say that I find it funny that Jonah trapped himself on a boat, a ship. I mean, here we are running from God, and you're putting yourself on a boat, something that's not necessarily very stable to begin with, and you just get one wrong wave, and it could tipsize you, push you overboard. But he gets on a boat. And here exactly is what we're talking about. The creator of the sea throws this his way. And we see a great wind, a mighty tempest. The ship was threatened to break. This, is not, this isn't any ordinary storm. This is a godly storm. This is like a mighty tempest. And again, it's another miracle that we see in Jonah. God controlling the weather. God controlling the sea. God controlling the sky. And Jonah is stuck. I also want to point out that Satan loves to see us fleeing from God, and he will always provide an easy way out, an easy way for us to run. So in this case, we see a ship was waiting at Joppa. We see he had the money needed to pay these shipmates, these sailors, to take him not just down the road to a neighboring little town, but 2,500 miles roughly in the opposite direction. Satan wants to make it look easy to flee. This is why the first thing we need to do is stop. Stop running. Pay attention to what you're doing and don't run at all. But, however, if it is too late, then we need to move to the T. We need to think about our actions. What do you need to do to turn your life around? Because it's never too late to run to God. It's never too late to surrender to God and His plan. And we need to put aside our pride... And realize that it is in God's hands that we are safest. It's in God's hands that our plan exists. What was that we said at the beginning? Man's plan is to flee and to sink, but God's plan is to swim and to save. As we read on, we see again, this is no small storm, no ordinary storm, and the ship was threatened to break. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, These are professional sailors, mariners, not just some little amateur with a boat like I might be on one of these lakes around here that I don't even know. But these guys were experienced with this sea. This is the Mediterranean Sea, by the way, which is no small sea. When I tried to look for a picture comparing the size, it showed the Mediterranean Sea covering up most of the United States of America. It is basically another ocean, and it's not uncommon for them to actually have tropical storms from time to time. But this wasn't even a tropical storm. This was a godly storm, a miracle storm to make sure that these people saw the air in their ways. And here we see that these mariners, not amateurs, professionals, were so afraid of this storm that they started praying to their gods. These were not believers of the one true God, our God, Jonah's God, but each cried out to their own gods. These were not amateur sailors. And they're so scared that they began to throw their cargo in the sea. They began to throw their own money in the sea. This is how they make money, and they're throwing it overboard. Sometimes I watch these shows on Discovery Channel, like Wicked Tuna and some of these other fishing shows, and I I am always amazed to see that they might catch one fish, and it'd be like $5,000 in their hand. Think, I want to catch one of them, right? But can you imagine catching one of those $5,000 fish and then just, throwing it overboard because uh, this fish adds a lot of weight to the boat and I'm afraid it could capsize us. So I'm just going to throw that fish overboard. They're throwing all their possessions, all their cargo, all their money in the water because they are so afraid that their ship is going to break. Their ship is going to sink. But then they notice something. They are so afraid that they're running all over the ship, throwing everything overboard, praying to their God, save us, save us. And they notice Where's Jonah? Jonah was asleep. How can you sleep during that? I mean, these guys are professionals, and they're scared out of their minds, and yet he's sleeping. Why? You know, I think maybe it's just some possible answers that I found as thought through it and as I did research. Maybe you're sick. One, thing, one resource had said that this was a man that might not have been used to riding on ships. He's a desert man, and he's, he's seasick. He's trying to sleep it off. Or maybe God chose to keep him asleep until this point. Or maybe he was just trying to act asleep so he wouldn't have to work too hard. Probably not. But maybe Satan was also keeping him asleep to try and keep God's hand from working in his life. We don't know exactly why or how he was sleeping during this, but what we do know is God's word tells us he was fasting asleep. Which means he was hard asleep. He was out. He was knocked out. Jonah should have been praying during this time. Not sleeping during this time. In fact, Jonah shouldn't have even been in this at all. Jonah should have been walking up to their sailors and saying, turn the ship around. Get me back to where I need to be. I'll pay you double. But no, Jonah's sleeping. The sailors were so desperate now that the captain called upon Jonah to call out to his God. I can only imagine that that scene as the captain walks down below and says how are you sleeping i have thrown thousands of dollars over the overboard our ship's about to be wrecked and you're sleeping we're all praying to our gods maybe if you pray to your god your god will save us i don't think they knew who his god was yet they're just thinking all of us are praying to our gods you need to pray to your god and maybe one of us will get lucky Maybe one of our gods will look upon us and say, I'm going to save you. Excuse me. This also applies to our lives. I have been to hospitals numerous times where people do not believe in our God. They don't believe in any God, but they're still asking me to pray for them because they know the power of prayer and they know that they need it. They're looking for help. And they're willing to ask anybody, pray for me, please, that some God will rescue me. These people needed to surrender to get help. We need to surrender to get help. People all over the world need to surrender to get help. And next we see in verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that they may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Miracle. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What do peop- uh, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea in dry ground. You know, I've, that statement's powerful. Because I think no matter how Jonah tried to say it, even if he tried to bashfully say, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, those words are powerful. I am a Hebrew. Even if he tried to say it quietly, it still carries power. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry ground. Jonah knew he was to blame, and he's taking responsibility now. But he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Really? I fear the Lord. That seems a little surprising to see that Jonah is saying, I fear God. Because you're running from God's plan. If you fear God so much, should you have ran to begin with? I think maybe at this point he's realizing, wow, I am scared to death. Now, I do fear God. Look what God's doing. Not to say that he doesn't fear God, but sometimes we all need the fear of God in us a little bit more to prevent us from running to begin with. The men immediately knew that he was to blame and that this truly was the one true God. And as we get back to Jonah 1.10, they looked for a solution now. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. I love that word. It's just a big word. It gets your attention. Tempestuous. <clears throat> he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon us. They now knew that they needed to stop. I just accidentally moved my slide. They now knew that they need to stop trying to find a way out themselves. They need to stop working against God. They needed to work with God. So they're beginning this little lesson here of how to work with God instead of against God. So they asked Jonah, what shall we do? We're in this because of you, because your God is the one true God. Your God is so powerful. He's doing this to us. What shall we do? So Jonah tells them, hurl me into the sea. Now, at first I thought that sounded pretty good. Hurl me into the sea, this will save you. But then I also thought there's two sides of every story. Jonah has been going this far, he's this determined to get away from going to Nineveh. Just another thought. Maybe he thought this would also get him out of going to Nineveh. Throw me over to the sea, this will end this once and for, for all. As I die, as I drown in the water, as I sink to the depths of the sea... I will finally be rid of this plan of going to the Ninevites. He was so angry, he was so against the Ninevites being saved that he wanted to die instead of doing that. Jit an idea. Just an idea. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. You know what? Whether he was doing it to save the shipmates or not, he didn't know if God would save him or not. It was a leap of faith. And the men didn't want to do it anyways. The sailors didn't want to do this. And my thinking is this. If God did all of this to try and get his prophet back to turn his ways and do God's plan, what would God do if these men killed him? Right? If God did all of this because Jonah was not following him, what might God do with them if they killed Jonah by throwing them overboard? So even though they're trying to get back on the right track, They decide, we don't want to kill you. We're going to try and row, 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 and row against the storm, against God, and try and save us another way. But eventually they realize this is getting us nowhere. They must give God Jonah. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Why doesn't everybody just say that? Say tempestuous. One, two, three tempestuous you see that's fun right tempestuous it's powerful this was no ordinary storm it was tempestuous it was against them therefore they called out to the Lord they're not calling out to their false gods anymore now they have turned to calling out to the one true God O Lord let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you O Lord have done as it pleased you So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I only have three pages of notes left, I promise you. Now what do we see here? We see that the mariners cry out to God themselves. They now believe and are submitting to God's power, God's authority, to God's plan. They're no longer asking Jonah to pray on their behalf. They're praying to God on their behalf, themselves. And then, once they throw Jonah overboard, the sea ceased. Another miracle. The sea ceased. And this was such a powerful display of God's power that the men... Feared exceedingly. Exceedingly. And they began to make offerings, to make sacrifices, and to make vows to this God. The men continued to fear God and they submitted to God. And let's see if I can go back here. That got us to P. Proceed. They proceeded to follow after God and to make a vow. They now knew that God is real. And they make a vow to him. That's more than what Jonah was doing. And all this, Jonah wasn't making a vow to continue to commit, Lord God, I will commit, I will go all the way to Nineveh. Jonah ran. But here, they're making vows to God, sacrifices to God, and following after God. I don't know if it stuck. I don't know if this was just one of those situations where we know we need God in the circumstance so we'll say anything we need to. We'll make any commitment. Lord God, save me now and I promise I will live my whole life for you. I'll never watch that TV show again. I'll never drink another drop of alcohol. I'll never get drunk again. I'll never do drugs again. I'll never cheat on my wife again. I'll never look at pornography, whatever it is. We don't know if it was lifelong commitment or not, but what we know Is they saw so much power that they made a vow to God. And that's what I love. Even in Jonah's disobedience, God is glorified. Even in Jonah's disobedience, God is glorified. Even when we are running from God, God can still be glorified. But we must stop. We must look to God. We must stop. We must think. We must observe our situation and observe what God's going to do, and then we must proceed by following after what God is doing. Make a vow. Stop running. Stop trying to fix things on your own. Stop fleeing from God and run to him for salvation. God may use storms to correct your life. It's not always God. Sometimes it's Satan using storms to try and, try and change your life, to turn you away from God. But I do have news for you, good news. God is still in full control of those storms. Surrender to him. We must work with God, not against God. God continued to pursue Jonah and save him. Throughout all of this, God pursued him and God saved him. Jonah is saved from destruction and swallowed by a great fish, a miracle. God appointed this fish to be there right at that time. Miracle. For the purpose of saving him from the depths of the sea and delivering him back into God's plan. Nineveh. We can run, but we cannot outrun God. We must stop. Stop running from God's plan. His plan leads to salvation, and our plan only leads to destruction. What are you running from that God is calling you to run to? One last thought here. Why did God wait? Why didn't God just prevent this whole story? God could have stopped Jonah right in his steps before he even got on that ship. Why did God allow Jonah to sink to the depths of the sea before rescuing him, as we're diving into more in the next week's sermon? I think God wanted him and the sailors to see that we need him. We are hopeless on our own. And again, men seek to flee, but God seeks to save. We need to surrender to God. We need to put up our white flags and surrender. We need to stop running. Stop looking for the ships that are waiting to take us away from God and look for a way to run to God. Allow God to use you in his plan. And that might be in a hard way at times. It might be witnessing or talking to somebody about God that you know might persecute you that you know might kill you before you even get through the gates. That might mean talking to somebody that you just absolutely despise and you don't want to see them saved. But just think about what God has done in your life. We don't deserve salvation, yet God continues to pursue us and to save us. Man's plan is to flee and to sink. God's plan is to swim and to save us. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your plan to always be pursuing after us and saving us. And we just pray today that we look to you. Lord, help us to cast our worries upon you and realize that we are not alone. We need to look to are we running? And are we running for you or against you? It does no good to run against you. We need to turn away and run for you. Put up our white flags and surrender to you.